Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. We will be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. If you haven't brought a Bible with you today, there are black pew Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. And if you want to read along and follow along as we preach, as I preach through this section this morning, the passage is found on page 60 in those black uh, pew Bibles. We are uh, moving to a a new section, a crucial uh, section of the uh, book of Exodus this morning. Uh, It is uh, really containing the the giving of the law is the central uh, part of what happens here. And Exodus 19 is vital for understanding Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is the giving of the Ten Commandments. To understand the giving of the law, we really need to understand and grasp what God says in Exodus 19. So let's look, uh, first of all, this morning at Exodus 19 verses 1 to 6. So hear the word of the Lord. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, And keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh God, we pray that you would write your word on our hearts this morning. We pray that you would use your word to change us, to transform us. We pray, oh God, that you would use it to draw us closer to you. Help us to be faithful servants of yours. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we come this morning to Israel at Mount Sinai. And this is in fulfillment of what God told Moses earlier. If you want to turn back with me or just listen, you remember when God first appeared to Moses, it was at Mount Sinai. And God said to Moses back in chapter 3 at the the scene of the, the burning bush where God appeared to him. In verse 12, God said to him, 
to Moses, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. On this mountain, you shall serve God, or it could be translated, you shall worship God. So the Israelites are going to to, to give, uh, serve God, or it could be translated worship God, but God also gives the Ten Commandments here, and these things are actually tied together. So Israel is at Sinai. They are going to be at Sinai for 11 months. In fact, Israel at Sinai is going to take up the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and the first 10 chapters of the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. There's little, in fact, on the rest of Israel in the wilderness. The rest, a little on the rest of the 40 years in the wilderness in, uh, the, uh, in, in the Bible, in, in the five books of Moses at all. Which tells us that this time here is significant in the life of God's people. And the focus is on what? It's on the covenant that God is making with Israel. And here we see the highlight on the significance of the law within that covenant. The, fo- the significance of the law within that covenant. And I want to reflect this morning on the significance of the law, on the law itself. There is much confusion about the law in the Christian life. Is the law for today? What parts of the law are for today? Are all the Ten Commandments for today? Are there other parts of the law that are for today. So I want to begin by laying a foundation this morning as we look at this passage from Exodus chapter 19. And the first thing we need to do is we need to understand the law in the context of God's grace. We need to understand the law in the context of God's grace. Notice here in chapter 19, First of all, verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So notice that they have come out of Egypt. God has already delivered them from Egypt. God has been gracious to them, delivering them first. Now he gives them the law. Or look at verses 3 and 4. Moses went up, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall uh, say to the house of Israel and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. We're going to talk more about that language in just a few minutes. This is what God has already done for them. We see the same thing at the beginning 
of the Ten Commandments themselves. In chapter 20, God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, etc., etc. It is all, the commandments come after what God has done, his grace to them. Some people understand it's a matter of law versus grace. But that's a misunderstanding. But many people make it that way. If I'm good enough and obey enough, God will love me. God will give me grace. There are other people, in a more kind of technical, theological sense, who say that Sinai itself is a the, the covenant being made here is itself a covenant of works. But it misses once again the context of grace. So let's look at what God has done. Look at verse 4. What has God done for them? You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He, what did he do? First of all, he punished the Egyptians. He defeated the Egyptians. First of all, he brought the plagues. He, he devastated Egypt and killed many, especially the firstborn. He, he drowned many Egyptians at the Red Sea in order to rescue his people. And, you know, we see this over and over again in Scripture that we'll see it at, we see it at the very end of the Bible. God's grace often includes triumph over his and our enemies. It includes life for his people and death for God's enemies. He punished the Egyptians. Secondly, God says here, I bore you on Eagle's wings. What a sweet image that is. Bore you on eagles' wings. On the one hand, eagles can be fierce birds of prey, but here, uh, it's a, it's a, and eagles uh, come to the rescue. If you're Lord of the Rings fans, we see this sometimes in the, the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and the fellowship of the ring, Gandalf is rescued from the pinnacle of Orthanc, from, from Saruman by, by, uh, uh, by, by Gwaihir, this swiftest of the great eagles, comes and rescues Gandalf. Perhaps a little more significant for us. It's also used elsewhere in Scripture. No, Lord of the Rings, I, I agree, it's not Scripture. It's of God's nurture and care. Deuteronomy chapter 32. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, it says, of God. 
John Mackay writes of eagles themselves that when it is time for young birds to leave the eyrie and learn to fly, the eagle stirs up its nest but does not abandon her young. If they experience difficulties, the mother bird swoops down below them and lifts them on its wings back to safety. That's the image of what God does here. Swoops down and bears them on eagles' wings. The third thing we see here in verse 4 is God brought them to himself. I brought you to myself. Salvation is not just about deliverance, but bringing God's people to himself, bringing us close to God. Salvation is about fellowship with God, knowing God, bringing us out and bringing us near. That's what, fellow, that's what salvation is about, out of sin and near to God, to fellowship with God. And notice here in this verse, it is all of God, none of us. God punished, God bore, God brought them. John Mackay points out that it is significant that God was not given the law at his first encounter with God at Mount Sinai back in chapter 3. God did not say, God did not appear to Moses in in Exodus chapter 3 and say, here's the law, keep this and save yourself. Salvation is all of God's grace. We understand the law in light of grace. As John Newton famously put it, the only thing I contribute to my salvation is the sin that needs to be atoned for. Secondly, we need to understand the law as part of God's gracious covenant. Need to understand the law as part of God's gracious covenant. Look at verse 5. God goes on, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Here we see covenant language in verse 5. God's gracious covenant. He enters into a relationship, a binding covenant relationship with his people. The heart of the covenant, I will be your God and you will be my people. This covenant, again, is is part of God's covenant of grace. It's a continuation of God's covenant with Abraham. How do I know that? Because if you look back at Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, God sees Israel's struggle. Verse 24 in Exodus 2 said, God heard their groaning, the Israelites a groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. That knowing, of course, is that intimate 
knowing. God knew. He felt. He had compassion. He remembered that covenant. And this is a continuation of that that covenant. Scholars, theologians say what? We've got basically two covenants. Two covenants. A covenant of works and a covenant of grace in Scripture. The covenant of works, the covenant with Adam. Do this, obey, and you will live. But Adam and Eve broke that covenant. They sinned. They, they, they were able, able not to sin. Sin had not entered the world, but they broke God's covenant. Since then, we see God's gracious covenant that has unfolded with God's covenant with Noah and with Abraham and down through the line. The Mosaic covenant, a continuation of this covenant of grace. And yet, all covenants have responsibilities. In the law here that God gives to his people, we see the, that there are, are legal aspects, there are legal demands that are, are highlighted. But again, God does not say, keep the law and you will be my holy people. Rather, you are my treasured possession. You have rights and responsibilities. O'Palmer Robertson describes a covenant as a bond in blood, sovereignly administered. A bond in blood, sovereignly administered. Ancient covenants were made by the shedding of blood. Typically, animals were were cut in half in the ancient world, and the parties entering into the covenant would, would pass between the, the parts of the animals. It was a bloody mess, bond in blood, sovereignly administered. That's how Israel's covenant was made. God entered into a covenant with Abraham, and in Genesis chapter 15, God told Abraham to cut animals in half and separate the animals, but, but God himself passed between the pieces. Abraham did not. It was God who said, if, if this covenant is not kept, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. God will take the blow on himself. Of course, ultimately, this comes to fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. A gracious covenant here, and yet there are laws, just as there are commands in the New Testament. Why? Why? Well, we could give a a number of different reasons for why we have these commands. First of all, keeping them glorifies God, for one thing. Keeping God's laws brings glory to God. Another reason is 
Keeping God's law is good for us. It's good for us. One of my seminary professors at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary up in Massachusetts, Dr. Roger Nicole, was fond of saying, you cannot break God's law. You can only break yourself on it. You cannot break God's law. You can only break yourself on it. The law of God is good for us. It is part of God's gracious covenant. Lives are wrecked by adultery, by stealing, by coveting, by lust, by all kinds of sin. The law is part of God's gracious covenant. This leads third that we, to this. We need to see, we need to understand the law as God's demand. Look again at verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples for all the earth is mine notice the conditional element here if indeed you obey fellowship with God must lead to obedience God cannot tolerate sin God scripture tells us his his eyes are too pure to look on human sin Disobedience affects our relationship with with God. We find joy in our fellowship with God only when we are walking in obedience with God. Notice again, God has already taken them to himself. Again, the order, deliverance, then demand. Not obey, then I'll deliver. Essentially, what is the What's the right order? Become who you are in God, in Christ. But it helps us to understand the function of the law. We can enjoy God's blessings. We can have fellowship with him. We are holy. We are set apart. We are to become holy. Again, the conditional, if, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. On top of that, James in the New Testament is clear. Faith without works is dead. Sometimes we need to come to that conclusion. If we are not obeying, if we do not obey... Faith is dead if it's not showing itself in obedience to the word of God. Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then fourth and finally, we see in this passage, we need to understand the law in light of God's plan. Again, 5 and 
Then verse 6, if therefore you indeed you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words, God says to Moses, that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Notice these things. If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. A treasured possession. What is this? Really, it refers to a royal property. The most prized possession in a king's personal treasury. Isn't that a wonderful picture? The most prized possession in a king's personal treasury. You will be a kingdom of priests. Those who serve and and worship God. You will be a, a holy nation set apart by obedience, reflecting God's character. That is, someone those who are special to God, who serve and worship Him. And yet there's more here. Notice again the language, you will be my my treasured possession among all the nations, all the peoples, for the earth is mine. You will be a priest among the nations, for the earth is mine. Priests offer intercessory prayer. In other words, what do we see here? Israel is chosen from the nations for the nations. From the nations for the nations. And this is not something that's new here. This goes back to Genesis chapter 12, God's promise to Abraham. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The call to missions doesn't begin in Matthew 28, with the Great Commission. It goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. The purpose from Israel, from the very beginning, has been to be a blessing to the nations. It's been missions from the very beginning. We accomplish it by being, God's people accomplish it by being a holy people, by showing forth the glory of God, but also by proclaiming the greatness of God. Why the law? To reflect God's greatness and grace, to be a holy people, to honor and serve God faithfully. And to draw the nations to God. Brothers and sisters, God's law is not a burden. It's a gracious gift 
that reflects God's character. And it reveals how we can live happy, fulfilled lives by the grace of God, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Our God, how we praise you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. You reveal yourself to us in your law. How we thank you for your gracious, your precious law, O God, that teaches us how to live for your glory, how, how to live for our own good, O God. And so we pray that you would continue to write your word, your law on our hearts day by day and give us grace, O God. Give us strength by your Holy Spirit to walk in it to the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.